0: What's up, kinfolk? folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app YouTube or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to continue our new faces in new places segment where I'm going to tell you what you can expect from Oregon and Dan Lennon in year one and also what you can t- expect from Mario Cristobal and Miami in year one. We're also going to talk a little bit about Arch Manning, who is going to make his second of three visits to Alabama this weekend, an official, and we know that officials are officially official, and finally, we're going to start with, yes, Ryan Day having things to say, all right, so off the rip, let me set this up for you, Ryan Day was speaking in front of the business community in Columbus, Ohio, somehow, college football coaches, speaking in front of local business communities, has generated some of the, best offseason content that we have seen in 2022. First, we had, yes, Nick Saban talking about Texas A&M buying players in front of the Birmingham establishment. And now we have Ryan Day putting an actual number on what it might cost for him to keep his current roster in place and what it might cost for him to get the kind of recruits that Ohio State fans have come to know and love in Columbus. All right, so the number is... 13 million dollars or about twice as much as he makes in an annual year which is well gone up because he got a raise so not that much more but still significantly more 13 million dollars sounds like a lot of money because it is a lot of money because you and i live regular lives but when you're talking about other contracts say aaron donald getting 40 million annually it's not that much money and it certainly is not that much money when we're talking about college football players who i think could stand to make at least 13 million dollars per player each and every year, but that is forcibly down the road, forcibly because I'm not the person standing in the way. There's a lot of other people that are standing in the way. But what does $13 million break down to? Okay. It is $150,000 annually for each of your 85 scholarship players, which is not realistic because the last thing that anybody wants is to make the same amount of money as the person next to them because money is how we keep scoring this country. Or half a million dollars for 26 players that you absolutely can't live without, like an entire recruiting class or Maybe every quarterback and offensive tackle on your depth chart. Who can know? Well, we also have Ohio State having planned ahead for this because with the NCAA announcing that it's relaxing its regulations on name, image, and likeness following Austin v. NCAA at this time last year, we've seen Ohio State and others come up with their own ways of trying to get involved in the NIL business without saying that we're getting involved in the NIL business. I'm going to outline that here in just a second. But first, landscape. NIL Corporate Ambassador Program is what Ohio State calls its NIL program. It is meant to encourage businesses in and around Ohio State to do business with the athletic department and Ohio State student athletes. I think using both of those things in conjunction to each other is Ohio State's athletics department ultimate goal, and I'll get to that in a minute too. Businesses get the opportunity to go into endeavors with athletes, a la pay them, also give them internships, things like that. But I thought that this was interesting. There are five points for which the ambassador co- program at Ohio State lays out what it attempts to do. And the fifth point is quote, provide a mechanism for student athletes to utilize the name, image, and likeness while giving meaningful marketing and advertisement experience you know, and expertise to whomever wants to do business with them. Okay. It's a lot to unpack there that I said that I would. So I'm gonna start with this. You're not really seeing the amount of money in college football go up, right? College football is a $5 billion industry. This is before we talk about name, image and likeness. A lot of this money that you know is in that 5 billion is donors giving money to schools in the form of say seat licenses, right? You're in a seat you give this much money and meet this much of a threshold, you get this sort of expected favorable treatment when it comes to getting your season tickets. There are season ticket packages that are sold in conjunction with some of these offerings. You also have, like at the University of Oklahoma, you can buy a brick, have your name on it, right? Some folks want to put things on their bricks that you know have things to do with their dogs or their kids or what have you. This family wants to invest in this. All of this is money that once was going straight to the athletic department straight to say even football, because you could put football in the memo of the check. Now you're seeing that money might get diverted to an individual player, because what you ultimately want, if you are an alumnus with lots of money, it's not necessarily to be synonymous with the university, but synonymous with this star player at the university, right? So using Ohio State as an example here, would you rather be in business with Ohio State this year or C.J. Stroud this year? And the next C.J. Stroud to come after C.J. Stroud the next year. So now you're seeing athletic departments having to compete with to try to get the same money that used to be just theirs. Which is why I think it's interesting that we're seeing more universities go into name, image, and likeness with their eyes wide open saying, hey, what if we can help broker the deal? Okay? We can help broker the deal. We can see how much money is being made, which is on its face favorable, right? If you're the university, you know how much money is coming in. You know what's possible. And perhaps even act as a quasi-agency. We're putting these two people together. We have access to Ohio State players. You want access to those players. We have them full time. Let's do business together here. I find this to be a completely above board and not unlike any other agency that exists in the entire world. You see this all the time. But for whatever reason, college football, people want to clutch their pearls over these things. I also thought that Dave's math was interesting in that he laid out $2 million is probably what it takes to keep a quarterback on his roster, say like a Kyle McCord who is backing up a C.J. Stroud, and if something happens to C.J. Stroud, you like to see Kyle McCord get a shot at, you know, starting, like he did last year, the Akron game, when they went to sit C.J. and give him a little time to rest up. You also want to keep Devin Brown on your roster, or, in my words, on the payroll, right? You want to keep that dude right where he is, so you have this steady succession of Ohio State quarterbacks and Future, you hope, first-round draft picks. He's also talking about a million dollars for an offensive tackle, which, again, feels like a bar- bargain to me, or a defensive end. Imagine getting JT Tuimo out. Or let me let me put this another way. Imagine getting Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa for a million dollars annually. That's a bargain. When you want to play for national championships, you want to win the Big Ten championship, that's a bargain. all right. But I thought this quote was particularly interesting at Cleveland.com when Day reportedly said, quote, One phone call and they're out the door. We cannot let that happen at Ohio State. I'm not trying to sound the alarm. I'm just trying to be transparent about what we're dealing with. Find that also be really above board and on the nose, right? You saw Quinn Ewers reclassify, skip his senior year of high school so that he could get to Ohio State and by getting to Ohio State, take what is A million dollar offer from a a local business in the state of Texas. We're also seeing this at a time when the state of Ohio, much like the state of Texas, refuses to allow its high school players to make money on their name, image, and likeness. I think that that is just ridiculous on a number of levels. The first of which is, what right do you have to stop anybody from making any money? Right? I was asked this question not too long ago. It's like, hey, I started making money when I started cutting lawns you know, at six years old, why would I stop somebody from making money when they can make it playing college football or even high school football? You are worth what somebody's willing to pay you. For you to put impediments in the way is, for me, un-American, okay? They can go into the military at 18. They should be able to make a buck at 18. I graduated high school when I was 18. It was a year back, right, because I was short. Not that it did a whole lot, because I'm still short, but you get my point here. If I was 18 years old, Still in high school, I would feel some kind of way about a state legislator trying to keep me from making a buck, doing what I'm the best in the world at, and that's what it means. Once you are making money, somebody's paying you to do a job, you are professional, and you get to compete as one of the best in the world at what you do. So one of the reasons that we keep such score is because we get to say to each other, this is how I know this person is more valuable to these people over here than this person is over here. It's one of the reasons that we look at these quarterback contracts in the NFL. I'm going be going, why is this keep going up? Because each one of those quarterbacks wants to make more than the guy next to him. Full stop, right? We were talking about Patrick Mahomes making half a billion dollars over 10 years, and we were all going, that's so much money. Now you look at a guy like Deshaun Watson, and that's an entirely different can of worms, and he's making so much money because each one of these guys wants to make more than their peers. I don't see how that's any different than what you would have in college football, particularly at a place like Ohio State where they are completely over the moon with their football team and they very much want to win. I'm following this pretty closely and am interested in the conversation that you all are having around it. And I say you all because I keep saying this, man, I cannot get my head around clutching my pearls and being upset about the advent of name, image, and likeness because that is quite literally how the rest of the world works, okay? And in some ways, It is free market capitalism at its best, okay? If you can afford it, you should be able to pay it if you want to pay it, right? You are worth what somebody's willing to pay. Full stop. I don't understand why we're still upset about this. But, RJ, amateurism. Never was such a thing as amateurism. But, RJ, it's college. You're supposed to learn stuff in college. No, 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 no. You go to college to get a job. That's it. Most jobs that you want require a college diploma. For whatever reason, we decided that that was universally accepted and something we wanted in this country to be a prerequisite for anything like a quote unquote good job. Now, the fact of the matter is, you don't need a college degree to do anything. You need somebody to give you a job to do anything. So if you can make the same money without a college diploma, by God, you should go do that. Now, that used to be the way it was. Now all of a sudden we've decided that we want to change up. I don't get it, man. I didn't go to college, get a master's degree because I want to be the smartest dude on my block. One, I'm not. And two, I didn't really want to go to college in the first place. What I wanted was a job. I wanted to write for a living. I wanted to do this for a living. This is how I prove to the folks that give those jobs out that I am capable of doing those jobs. Football is about beating the dude in front of you. You can beat the dude in front of you, you're going to win. If you win consistently, you're valuable to the team that you play on. If you're valuable to the team you play on and they make money, you should get a piece of that money. I don't understand why this math is so difficult for most people to understand. Okay, from that to this. Talked about Arch Manning last week and his visit to Georgia and what that might mean and why Georgia, for me, is not a great fit for Arch Manning, right? Not the least of which is, Georgia has proven to be a quarterback graveyard in the last five to seven years, and when it's not, they don't particularly like putting the ball in the hands of the quarterback to go win football games. They want more or less what Nick Saban had: 2007, 2008, 2009, basically all the way up until Johnny Manziel went and stunned on Nick Saban and forced him to change up. And I make reference to that because that is how we have seen Alabama become one of the more dominant offenses in addition to defense, in college football. They changed the kind of quarterback they wanted to recruit. Now, we saw a bit of this with Blake Sims, but we saw the full range in the recruitment and really the play of Jalen Hurts. And then we saw the next iteration of that with Tua Tonga Valoa. And I make those particular points because this point is really interesting to me as Arch Manning and his family get ready to take an official visit to Tuscaloosa. September last year. You'll remember um, ESPN does a version of what we had Fox Sports have been doing for a, li- a long time called a live tailgate. They just do it with a couple dudes that have the last name Manning. And they have guests on there from time to time when they have a football game on on Monday nights. Okay. They had Nick Saban on as a guest on one of these football games on Monday nights for one of these live tailgates that, you know, ESPN took from Fox Sports. That said, Nick Saban came up there and was not caught. So as Eli tried to call Jalen Hurts an Oklahoma quarterback and Peyton came to Nick Saban's defense, Saban said, look, hey, I want to talk about that for just a second. First is, when we made a joint decision, his words, joint decision for him to transfer, he asked me, where do I think he should go? And I told him, or I asked him, who has the best players? Jalen Hurts said, Oklahoma. And Nick Saban said, then that's where you should go. You should go where you're going to have the best players as a quarterback. That was the first odd to the two dudes that had won Super Bowls as quarterbacks and whose nephew is the number one player in the class of 2023. Okay. The punchline came a little bit before this. His third quarter, Dallas Cowboys playing the Philadelphia Eagles. To which my man Nick Saban, Slides in there real cool-like, and I want to make sure I get this quote right verbatim. I wish I was coaching at Alabama when Peyton and Eli Manning were recruits so you guys could have played for the Tide. Then the punch, I'd love to coach a member of the Manning family. Yo. All right. I love that. I really love that because I've heard about Nick Saban in the living room. And Saban is undefeated in the living room. Mr. Steal Your Recruit, like steal your girl, right? Out there like Barry Switzer, taking off his shoes, helping you cook dinner, having dinner at the kitchen table instead of the dining room table, really talking your mom and your daddy through what kind of education you're going to get at this institution. And, oh, yeah, you play a little football on the side. Nah, this man went on national television and told the uncles what's really good for their nephew. I love that. I love that because Ars Manning also fits into exactly the kind of quarterback that Nick Saban would want in the class of 2023. It's not just that he's got a rifle right before an arm. It's not just that he's got great size. He's also extremely intelligent and extremely humble. It bears repeating. This is a player who could stand and make millions of dollars in name, image, and likeness who has said, I don't want any part of it. Think about that for just a second. One, it's nice to hear if you are that type. That uh, a player doesn't want to make any money on his name, image, and likeness in college. On the other hand, he ain't got to, y'all. His last name is Manning. He got everything he needs. There's nothing that you could give that boy that he don't want. Like, that's the part that really bothers me about all of this. We're trying to act as if the first family of football would like to be out there pimping their son or pimping their nephew for name, image, and likeness purposes. Now, they above it all. You got a reputation to uphold as a Manning. Okay? Like, put another way. We know that the College Football Hall of Fame put out his ballot, right? Shout out Reggie Bush who was on it, you know, works at Fox whatnot. A lot of other folks that are on it showing my age, like Josh Heupel's on it, and I'm going, yo, man, I'm that old now. They putting Josh Heupel on it. They putting Marshawn Lynch on it. They putting Alex Smith on it. That's my age now. But I say that to say, you know who the president of the National Football Foundation is, you know, the people that actually put out the ballot? It's Archie Manning. It's Arch's granddaddy. Peyton and Eli's daddy, okay? I'm trying to put you on game here. You don't just want this dude because he can sling a football. You want this dude because he's connected to the first family of football. Stay woke, family. I'm trying to help you out right now, okay? Now, on top of all this, it gets kind of complicated because September, 2021, when Nick Saban was talking on national television to the uncles of one Arch Manning, I would have told you Alabama's a shoe-in to land Arch Manning for all the reasons Nick Saban knows. Okay? They had the best players in the sport over the last decade and a half. They have won a national championship for every player that has graduated from Alabama since Nick Saban took over. Think about that. They continue to put first round players at quarterback into the NFL draft and Heisman winners. The reigning Heisman winner plays quarterback at Alabama. Okay. Then it got a little complicated last month. How you might ask? I'm glad you did. Zachary Louisiana native and six foot four Thunder armed Eli Holstein. Not only committed to Alabama, Alabama accepted his commitment at the quarterback position. Okay. Now, is it uncommon for a program to take more than one quarterback in a class? Not anymore, especially over the last 10 years. Okay. What I find to be interesting about this is the last time that Alabama did it, we're talking about Tua Tonga and Mac Jones. Mac Jones joined that class knowing that Tua was the number one. And he was the number two only after Tua got hurt. Did we see Mac Jones and only after Tua went to the NFL did Mac Jones get an opportunity to start, even as we thought Bryce Young would usurp him as a freshman. Was it so? Mac Jones did a great job. They went 13 and 0. They won an national championship. My question is, if you are the number one player in the class of 2023. Why in the hell would you want to join a class where they already accepted a quarterback of some caliber to play with you? Because it ain't like Eli Holstein is Mac Jones. He is a four-star recruit who can absolutely play the position and at one point was committed to Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. People want him. You're also going to be joining up the year after they already put Ty Thompson on game. Jalen Milrose, one of my favorite dudes in the 2020 class, also on game. Right, on the 2019 class, they, they're. Sh- I'm telling you that they are locked up at quarterback at Alabama, like you read about. But that's what Nick Saban does. He stocks the cupboard and keeps dudes on campus, right? But I'm not certain that that's what you want to do if you are Arch Manning, because you want to be legendary in this sport. Okay, your family is legendary in this sport. Each one of the play- dudes that play quarterback legendary in this sport. His his father was a wide receiver, by the way. Okay. You want to go somewhere where you can create your own legend. You can't really do that at Georgia. Stetson Bennett's occupying legendary status right now. And they ain't gonna let you be that dude at Georgia. You're not gonna throw the ball over the yard. You're gonna throw four thousand yards at Alabama because Nick Saban is giving way to yeah, I'll put up forty five on people. It's no big deal now that I understand that that's what y'all want football to be. I'll adapt. But there's also been a bunch of great players, let alone quarterbacks, to come through Tuscaloosa. Do you want to be one of many or do you want to be the guy? Last point I'll make on this is the grandson or great-grandson, I think he was, grandson or great-grandson of Bear Bryant, right? Ends up, Paul Bryant, ends up coming to Alabama. Where is he now? He transferred to Arizona State. So if they're willing to run off the coach in college football, especially at Alabama, what do you think they're willing to do to you? Sit you down? Tell you to wait your turn? Nah, man. One, if you were just the number one recruit in any class, I wouldn't want to sit down and wait my turn. And with a name like yours, why in the hell would you want to sit down and wait your turn? Nobody wants you to sit down and wait your turn. I don't want to see Arch Manning throwing football as soon as he arrives to anybody's campus. Okay? I just don't see that happening at a place like Allah. All right. Now, next week we will finish out our Arch Manning series when we talk about why or why not Texas might be a good place for him to end up playing college football. And if you've been keeping score, you can see I've been kind of hedging toward what I really think y'all need to know. But again, come back next week and I will lay it all out for you. And you can fight with me on the twitters at Number One Rank Show on the IGs, on the twitters, on the facebooks. Now. I want to pivot from that continuing series to this continuing series called New Faces in New Places, where we take a look at coaches in their first years at their new programs and what you can expect from them in year one and only in year one. We did this with Brent Venables and Lincoln Riley. We've done this with Marcus Freeman and Brian Kelly. And now we're going to do it with Dan Lanning and Mario Cristobal. And I'm going to tell you which dude is probably going to have the better year if I don't choose to push like I did in you know the first year iteration of this episode where I let down producer Tyler Wojak and director John Marcus who expected me to pick a side instead of push I'm like nah man it's 10 win teams I think so all right so Dan Lenning year one at Oregon schedule breakdown I think is most important when we're talking about what you're capable of or not capable of in any given season their schedule is I'm calling it at Georgia because the game is in Atlanta they're calling it a neutral site game but come on man come on ain't, 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 ain't no neutral site game all right and Dan Lanning got to come home because he was just defensive coordinator at the University of Georgia where they just won a national championship. He knows better than anybody else what lies in wait for him in Atlanta in September, okay? Man, Jeff Schwartz had already chalked that one up as a loss last year, saying to me, hey, man, I just want to see how good we are. I want to see how we measure up because I don't expect to win. <laughs> and I don't expect them to beat Georgia either. I expect Georgia to, to come out and want to prove that, Yes, it was not a fluke. We are the defending national champions, and we expect to be here come January this year. Now, on top of that, following September 3rd, they got BYU, Brigham Young, coming to Austin on September 17th. BYU ain't no chumps. BYU ain't no easy win. I personally think that scheduling them ought to count like, you know, we would put on par with a good SEC program, good Big 12 program, ACC program, what have you. because. BYU would have run the Pac-12 had they been members of the Pac-12, which is another way of me saying, hey, Big 12, better watch your back, Brigham Young, come through because they're on their way. Kalani Satake's been doing a great job keeping that program exactly where they expect to be. They had a first-round pick of quarterback a couple years back. They've been turning out pretty doggone good players year in and year out. And I will never forget the first time I saw a BYU football player, okay? BYU came to my alma mater University of Tulsa when I was, you know, throwing women in the air, catching by their hands, whatnot, so forth, so on, being a cheerleader. And I looked around, and I said, is it me? Or is every one of these dudes look 35? And they said, no, nah, RJ, they, they go on mission trips, and then they come to school. I said, so what, you got a 23-year-old freshmen?" I thought I was joking. No, that's exactly what you got. You got 23-year-old freshmen. You got 27-year-old seniors. Yo, man, that's an NFL team. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing here? Those are Children. Those aren't boys becoming men. Those are men with wives and children of their own. You don't want them problems in year one with a bunch of baby-faced dudes that don't know what this really is coming to your house in September, okay? Then you got Utah on November 19th, the defending Pac-12 champions. I expect them to be doing exactly what they usually do toward the end of the season, which is show up and throw it down, right? They've looked rocky to start some years, and then they come on strong, and they show everybody what's really good. They did that in a game that I thought Oregon should beat them down. They got they 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 beat down Oregon, okay? And your boy was really trying to gas Oregon up because they beat Ohio State, and what did they do but let me down? That's all I'm going to say. They let me down. Now, star players for you to know, Bo Nix, uh, running back Sean Dollar. I thought that Kirby Smart was laying it on pretty thick in Destin, when he told the Oregonian this about Bo Nix. It's a long quote, but I need to read it in entirety so you understand what I mean when I say he's laying on thick. Quote, he's a great athlete, probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen at a quarterback in terms of GPS numbers, speed, overall athleticism. He's grown from being a freshman that was thrown in there playing under multiple coordinators and going back to a coordinator that he's familiar with, Kenny Dillingham, we'll get to that in a second, It shouldn't make him comfortable. Very talented. We had a lot of draft picks on defense last year, and we struggled to get him to the ground. He's a tremendous player. All right, so I watched that game, and I made sure that I was right when I went to go look at Bo Nix's stats against Georgia. Yeah, I right, man. Um, no, he he ran around a couple times, had like 30 yards rushing or whatever, had like 217 yards passing. was like 50% completion. Nah, I I, I really think that he's trying to sandbag old Dan. And the Oregon fans who don't really know what's coming to them in Bo Nix, but they hope it's good. I also think that it's not great that you have a dude uh, that, frankly, is another version of Anthony Brown to me. And Oregon fans didn't seem to like Anthony Brown, even though I thought Anthony Brown was just fine. You're also dealing with Kenny Dillingham, who has, yes, some familiarity with one Bo Nix. But we're still talking about Kenny Dillingham being great at Memphis. We're not talking about him being great at a Power 5 program. Now, on defense, you got Tosh Lepoy, your defense. I think that's a pretty doggone good move. I remember Tosh Lapoy at Alabama, and I was fond of it. You're also talking about a dude that's familiar with the Pac-12, having played at Cal, come up at Cal, worked his way up, was a defensive line coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars before taking this job in Eugene. Recruits for you to know. Offensive tackle Josh Connerly and uh, transfer wide receiver Caleb Chapman. Josh Connolly just committed to <laughs> just committed to Oregon in April, which is ridiculous to think about, but he was the kind of dude that Washington wanted and that USC wanted. Uh, shout out to my managing editor, Kevin Jackson, who keeps losing Washington recruits to almost everybody else. Ameka Agbuka, he's from Washington, Ohio State. JT Two and he from Washington, he Ohio State. And now Connolly, who's from Seattle down the road, basically you dub, he going to Oregon. That's gonna smart just a little bit. And Wide receiver Caleb Chapman. I'm expecting him to have a really good year. Six foot five, tremendous range. Coming out of Texas, coming out of Texas A&M. I think that he could be pretty good if they choose to make him into a dominant target. I reserve most of these. Let me go at this in a different way. I have a hard time saying things like 10 wins is a given here because you look at the schedule and people turn out to be better than you thought. But keep that 10 win expectation in your mind as I move into how will Mario Cristobal do in year one at Miami okay let's lay this out what what is what what is Mario Cristobal at Miami it's a 10-year 80 million dollar contract which was a lot of money and then you know Brian Kelly took like 95 over 10 which is again ridiculous okay I think at one point Dabo Sweeney was like 93 over 10 again Y'all want to stop dudes from making money playing football, but y'all don't want to stop dudes from making money coaching football? Hello? Anybody listening? Is anybody home? All right. They invested nearly, no, not nearly, more than $100 million in a new facility for football that Crystal Ball has described as, quote, space age. Okay? That's in Coral Gables. He wants to put Coral Gables on par with Alabama and Oregon in terms of facilities. I say on par with Alabama and Oregon because he coached both places. Won a national championship at Alabama. You'll know this, right? And had a really good thing going at Oregon before he started to go back home. Which is another thing, getting to in a second. Billionaire booster John Ruiz has signed over 100 hurricane athletes to NIL deals. Which is another way of saying, hey, if you come here, we're going to see to it that you get paid to come here. Okay? The university can't say it. athletic department can't say it. But John Ruiz can say it. And he was an offensive lineman. Dur- at Miami during that run in which they won two national championships and were 58-0. and 0. Mario Cristobal doesn't just know what it means for the U to be the U. He was a part of it when it was. That is what he is being charged with bringing back to Coral Gables. Okay, He asked for and received the highest budget for assistance in the entire ACC, added Josh Gaddis, Kevin Steele, who accepted the job in Maryland only to, you know, not even set up his office between before getting back down to Miami, who's also in his late 60s. And he has found roles in his program for former Miami Dolphins great Jason Taylor and former Miami great Alonzo Highsmith. Okay. Then add to that, he's got tools to make a run 2022 based on what we saw in 2021, Manny Diaz. So they beat Pitt on the road not insignificant. It's not insignificant because Pitt played in New Year's Six Bowl and Pitt won 11 games. Now, what was squirrely was you have that loss, right, for Miami, or excuse me, for Pitt to Miami. You also have <laughs> lost to Michigan State to Peace Bowl, which I'll let go. And then you have what I thought was really interesting, the money-in-the-bag honoree, Western Michigan, goes and gets a win against Pitt. Pitt was kind of all over the map, okay? So now, Cristobal himself has said 7-5 ain't going to cut it at the U. They went 7-5 and five last year. All right. He's returning these star players. Tyler Van Dyke, who some people are calling a first-round draft pick. I don't see it, but maybe they do. I, I, okay. They are also calling... Offensive tackle Zion Nelson, a first-round draft pick. I do see it. That dude's 6'6", six six, 325, and he's going to be responsible for guarding that man's left-hand side as much as anything else. Now, what they also have that I thought was really interesting is running back in Jalen Knighton, who at one point, I didn't know if it was going to work out for him, but it absolutely has worked out for him, and they've added to that, okay? I think it's more interesting that we've seen Tyler Van Dyke say that he's working out, Malik Rozier, but also saying that he's learning to throw the ball like Aaron, uh, Aaron, Donald, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady throw the ball. It's more using his hip, you know, twerking his body, and I'm going, y'all are using terms like Alabama and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady at Miami. No, Miami ain't been Miami for 20 doggone years, okay? Then, recruits for you to know, or transfers for you to know, really. Running back, Henry Parrish, who's coming from Ole Miss. Wide receiver, Frank Ladson, who's coming from Clemson, and then 2022 signee and incoming freshman defensive end cyrus moss who's every bit of six foot six flying off the edge he comes to an ardent key he's an outstanding player they'll have dudes you're also talking about every acc champion has averaged at least 33 points since 2009 now half full of that is last year with Rhett lashley calling the plays miami averaged 34 points a game but since 2017 basically in the era of clemson You've had to average 40 a game to win the ACC championship. And Miami has not averaged 40 points a game since 2002 when it last won the national championship. Now, if you can marry a great passing offense with Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal's ability to create great offensive line push by coaching the hell out of the offensive line. And you have a Ducks, or see Ducks, you have a Hurricanes defense that looks a lot like the Ducks defense did last year, see where I was going with that, you can begin to think about what Miami might look like, given that its schedule breakdown is Texas A&M, okay, September 17th, I'm going to call that a loss, Virginia on October 29th, that could go either way, we'll talk a little bit about Tony Elliott a little bit later on this month, and then you're at Clemson on November 19th. Not unlike Oregon, this year, I don't see a whole lot of hard, tough teams on Miami's schedule. This year, not to say, to say nothing of the ACC has looked as weak as it has looked in years, more or less because Clemson didn't play for the ACC title, right? They, 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 didn't, they just weren't, they weren't good enough, even as they won 10 games, which is wild to think about because they were really great against teams that nobody else was watching. Okay, everybody forgot about Clemson after they lost to Georgia. Never mind, Georgia went and won a national championship. Now, Dabo Sweeney is also replacing both of his coordinators for the first time since he took over as head coach at Clemson. And I'm interested to see how that goes. Now he elevated guys that know what the program is, know how they like to recruit, know what the strategy is, but it's not Print Vidables, it's not Tony Elliott. Both of those guys have power five jobs at places where I think they both could have outstanding first years in this season. So Last thing that I want to say about the Canes that I think is really interesting is this, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around this when I saw this stat. The Canes are 24-3 since 2016 and 7-0 when they rush for 170 yards a game. So let me say that again. The Canes are 24-3 since 2016 and 7-0 on a seven-game win streak when they have rushed for at least 170 yards in a game. So if you are Mario Cristobal and you already know your identity is running the football and you have a quarterback like Tyler Van Dyke who is best at throwing the ball deep, play action ought to be a part of everything you do, especially when you talk to Josh Gaddis. And when you do talk to Josh Gaddis, know that his Michigan offensive line and his Michigan running back room, is one of the best in the country last year, they beat up on people, notably Ohio State by running the football, not by throwing the football, or running the football, and when they took shots, they took shots deep down the field. I think Miami could be pretty doggone good. I'm just not sure about how good they can be. So, who will have the better first year? Dan Lanning at Oregon, or Mario Cristobal at Miami? I'm going to say Mario Cristobal has a better shot to win 10 games this year than Dan Lanning does. I say that also knowing that, You still have divisions, at least for this year, in the ACC where you could just easily end up in the ACC championship game. And just the top two teams in far as winning percentage are going to get into the Pac-12 championship game. And I'm not sure that Oregon can be one of those two teams, though. There are a lot of people that feel that they can be. For both of these teams, it's going to be how good are you at running the football and how good are you at playing defense, right? Seeing what you can get out of a Noah Sewell at Oregon is going to be paramount. Seeing what you can get out of Tyler Van Dyke in a year in which many people are thinking he could beat Kenny Pickett is going to be paramount. I know that Mario Cristobal can coach at the head coaching level because I saw him do it at Oregon. Saw him do a bit of it, right? Just in taking the job and how he accepted the job in Miami. But I also don't really know who Dan Landing is as a head coach because he hasn't had this opportunity. I know he's try hard. I know he's a hustle hard. I know that every single coach that has worked with him has just been floored by his ability to just stay in the office and sleep on the floor and do whatever it takes to get opportunities but i don't know how that translates to being the dude in charge who's at every single press conference and not just the ones where the bowl media makes you show up who has to coach both on the field and through the media because yes you are speaking into a microphone more than you ever have in your entire life and most of your job is about can i control the situation and the narrative as much as Can I get the most out of each of my 85 scholarship players? How do I stretch myself just thin enough so that we win just enough games for most people to think I did a good job? Mario Cristobal knows what he's walking into in Miami. He knows what it takes to coach to a conference championship. I'm going to give him the nod. Okay. That is going to do it for this episode of the Number One Ranked Show. My thanks as always to producer Catherine Donnelly. Our associate producer is Tyler Wojak. Our director is John Marcus. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. Our social media maven is J.B.O.N. Duncan. And I'm the host. I will see y'all next week. Joseph.